Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Zippy the Wonder Snail. We are so glad to be with you. I'm Tim, and I'm with my co-commissar, Jason. Hey, Jason, how are you today? Uh, I'm good. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. Glad to be back for another exciting edition of The Fastest Snail on Earth. It's two Christian guys talking about the news and culture that matter to you, and we're going to start right off. We're going to talk about something very, very important and near and dear to all of our hearts here in Cardinal Nation, which is the state of our Redbirds this year. And uh, Comrade, you said that you have some hope for us because so far it's been, well, not encouraging. We are trending at a historic bad level. Uh, You have to go back a century to see some of the things that have been happening. Can you help us out here? They are 13 and 25, which at last check was the worst record in the National League. Uh, But I was going to say that I think these results are not reflective of how good the Cardinals actually are. And I think with a little bit more time, uh, they're going to straighten it out. Um, Because even at this moment, they're not that far behind. Either eight or eight and a half games out of first place. And the teams leading the way are Pittsburgh and Milwaukee, not exactly known as heavyweights with how their teams are structured right now. So it's there. It's there for the taking. And to be 12 games under 500, but only eight and a half games out, that tells us, you know, this division is not going to be that great. And they don't, you know, they don't have enough, the other teams don't have enough to beat us if we can get it in order uh, before I would say this month is out, if they can start playing some better ball. Uh, I think what I think is it's a hangover, um, an April hangover for the starting pitchers because um, April's always bad for starting pitchers. They're always about one month behind the hitters and the fielders. And it sort of snowballed. So the, Starting pitchers are really struggling, so you got to lean on your bullpen. And if you lean on your bullpen, you'll wear them out, and they'll have bad results. And then it was a road trip. They won two games on a 10-game road trip. They went 2-8. and eight. Uh, It just snowballed, but it doesn't mean, especially when you're like not even 40 games into the season, that you're, you're out of it. You just need to keep plugging away, and I think this is a very talented team, and I think it's a very talented starting rotation. I've been tired of hearing that this rotation isn't very good. These guys are talented. Steven Matt was one of the, for instance, was one of the big three of the New York Mets rotation uh, when they had Noah Syndergaard um, and Matt Harvey and some other guys when they were elite. They made the World Series in 05. Um, these are the the starting pitchers that they were starting to produce. And Steven Matz is just now 30 years old. So uh, he's a good pitcher, and he's got good stuff. Um, and all the guys have good stuff. Jack Flaherty's got really good stuff. It's whether he can figure out what's going on between the ears um, is the biggest thing with Jack. And I think the other guys, too. Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery carried us at points last season. So I feel really good um, about the starting rotation. If I didn't believe in them, I wouldn't say that to you. 
Um, and we have Wayno back now. First start was a little uh, below average, but he was fine. The first half of that game, he was fantastic. And it sort of got away in the fifth and the sixth, but that's okay. We still should have won that game. We just didn't. So, um, yeah, I'm encouraged. And, and you know, we can, we know we can always count on Wayno, so I don't think we right. have to worry about that part of it. So we just need the other guys to to pitch better, and we'll be fine. Yeah, Wayno gives me a great deal of hope, and I, I kind of wonder, just from a team morale standpoint and so on, if part of the reason we saw a, a rally a few days ago where we had three games in a row won for the first time this season had something to do with the return of Wayno. Uh, just having him back in the clubhouse, uh, seeing him go out there and fight for the team, uh, even things like I saw just a delightful excerpt of his conversation with Wilson Contreras after Contreras was moved out of the starting catcher position and Wayno was classic Wayno with him, encouraging him, reminding him that the team is loves him and is around is surrounding him and, and determined to see him succeed. And and I, I just have to think that Wayno adds surely just as much off the field as he's adding on the field. Yeah, he, he's a true leader in every sense of the word, and we know that he's sitting right now at 195 career wins. He's going to get to 200. He's going to get serious, serious, serious Hall of Fame consideration because he has the most Cy Young Award votes of any person who has not yet won a Cy Young Award. That's almost impossible given his resume. He won 20 games twice. He's won 19 games two other times. He's won 17 games like four times besides that. he He's elite. By any measure, Bueno has been at points the best pitcher in the National League in the same era as, you know, the height of Johnny Cueto and the height of three-time Cy Young Award winner and guaranteed Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw. He's as good as Kershaw, and we don't talk about this enough. Kershaw's definitely going to Cooperstown. So that's how good Adam Wainwright is. And off the field, and who he is as a person, and who he is as a Christian, uh, he's the best. No wonder he's the team leader. No wonder they get better when he comes back. Because yeah. how could you not get better with a guy like that on your team? Uh, it's just fact. You, you need guys like Definitely. that in every era. Dan Musial was literally this type of guy where in every facet of his life he was a leader of men and the Cardinals charged forward on guys like that. Even Bob Gibson, even though he was a little gruff, you know, he had that reputation for being so tough and scary. But he's a leader and he, he's a leader among his teammates. And he had good character and all those, you know, we see this throughout Cardinals history and it's not going to change. It hasn't changed and it never will change. So Wayno is that guy. And I think he's the guy that even at 41, he can still uh, lead the team back to where they need to be. So, yeah, um, I would love nothing more than to see this year end in good postseason play with Wayno right at the helm. That would be, be so nice to see. Um, 
One other thing that's come up in all this that I wanted to get your take on, I've seen several people mention, and I think this is a, a an interesting insight, that perhaps some of what we're seeing with the struggles in the team so far point back to the absence we have of the person we most commonly associate with Wayno, which would be Yadier Molina. And I've seen a number of people make the argument that maybe this actually is showing us a little bit more about just how much Yachty was doing that we didn't even appreciate necessarily day in and day out. Um, but, but how he influenced the team with his presence. There was one astonishing statistic and I'll agree with that completely uh, that Yadier had and the pitcher's ERA when Yadier was in the game was about 3.15. When Yadier was not in the game, is about 4.15. So one run per game, it's an enormous amount. So, and I and I think the recent move of Wilson Contreras is not actually a knock against Wilson Contreras, but his ability to to frame pitches and catch these pitchers, especially at the back end of that bullpen when you've got. Jordan Hicks and Ryan Helsley throwing 101 miles an hour, 103, 104. Um, you're seeing Kisner go back into that mix because Kisner, Andrew Kisner, the other catcher, is able to catch these guys throwing so hard. Uh, it doesn't mean we don't need Wilson Contreras on our team. It doesn't mean he's a bad catcher. He can definitely throw out runners, for instance. Um, but with these guys we have in our bullpen, especially throwing so hard, you need a guy that's been there, that knows the motion of those pitches really well, and Kisner is that guy. He's almost, Kisner is almost as good defensively as Molina was. So that's why you're seeing maybe Contreras at the DH spot more than you otherwise would. I don't think it's a knock on Contreras at all. I think that's just a lot of drama in the sports media around town because they thought they could sign Contreras and be done with it. But the fact is, how do you replace Yadier Molina? You don't. You just have to hope that that Kisner's defense makes up for Contreras' defects in those small aspects and that you get enough out of Kisner's bat when he is the starting catcher that you don't get overwhelmed because you know you're going to have Contreras' bat whether he catches or whether he's um, in the DH spot or even on, at first base on a weird day when you want Goldschmidt to rest. So you know you're going to have Contreras' bat anyway, and then you've got Kisner who's great defensively, and I'm glad we kept him for another year. So I, I don't think it's dramatic as everyone is making out to be. Um, we'll see if uh, Marmol can weather the storm. It really depends on if we start winning, but I think I'm not worried about it. Well, we'll definitely have to come back to that. We see where we go. Certainly, I'm I'm right with you, hoping that we have a really great season ahead. Well, that was abrupt and sort of abrupt like that is the the next segment we want to talk about. It's an abrupt decline in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, 
sort of shocking, really. Here you have the largest Protestant denomination in the United States and also sort of the the standard bearer when it comes to actual denominations carrying forward um, a broadly evangelical form of Protestantism versus the, the other main lines that that are progressive Christianity. Um, but we, we're seeing a massive decline over the last few years, including a half a million uh, members lost in the most recent year reported. I, I saw a statistic as we were preparing for the show that in 2012, there were over two members baptized for every member lost. And now we're seeing essentially the inverse of that. So an incredibly abrupt change, really. When we compare, for example, to the mainline decline, PCUSA, uh, I, I saw statistics on it the other day too. Uh, Ryan Berge, uh, I need to look up exactly where he's serving. It's a university in the University of Illinois system, I believe. But he does some great church statistics. And he was projecting out where the PCUSA is headed and predicting that essentially the denomination would have to dissolve in the next 20 years because it simply is shrinking at that fast of rate. Uh, but but nothing shocking about that. It, it's been doing that ever since it, it was formed in 1983 through the merger of different Presbyterian denominations. The SBC seems like a, a, a different kind of story, uh, comrade. Uh, there could be many factors. Um, many people claim that the politicization Diving into the politics, uh, full force on one side uh, may be a factor we talked about before we went on the air, possibly the mishandling of some high-profile sexual abuse cases um, in churches in the SBC it would be another problem. I, I don't think even those two together accounts for this decline. Uh, I, I do... I do wonder about the politics and how diving all in on one side, even knowing, as we talked about uh, before we went on the air, that certain moral issues are unavoidable for us to talk about and to be on a particular side of. Um, that's different than partisan politics and being seen as partisan. I think we can stand up for what we believe in without being seen as partisan. Uh, but uh, that could be a significant concern. I, but I also think you are seeing just a, a falling away that in various interpretations of the scriptures was bound to happen as salvation history moves toward its conclusion. It could just be that, uh, you know, some fall away because the sun was hot. <laughs> And they withered, you know. Um, it's going to be harder. It is harder and harder to be a Christian, a you know, a bona fide believing Christian in these days, and it will continue to be that way. So, and no offense, but maybe people just lost the stomach for it in some way. Yeah. So that's got to be a factor. We can't ignore that either. So. Um, those are my thoughts. I didn't have any other, you know, earth shattering insights on that, but it is concerning because, um, denominations are where we live, even if we don't call them denominations, even if we have 
certain ideas about truth and falsehood, which would lead us away from that. But we live in those churches, so to see them decline is concerning. Yeah, uh, in different context, but you and I were talking before the show about um, the general attacks that the world repairs against different parts of Christianity, particularly those that are more firmly rooted in an orthodox theology, uh, broadly speaking. And there, there is a sense, I think, even when we're not a part of a particular denomination or segment of the church, there is a sense when, when that segment is more closely aligned to a lot of historic uh, orthodox biblical truth and in a lot of ways the southern baptist convention would fit that right there they hold up they uphold the inspiration of scripture its infallibility they uphold the resurrection of jesus the resurrection ultimately of the dead they uphold the vast majority of the things that we'd want to see in a faithful christian church even if we disagree on certain points and you and i neither of us are, are baptists so uh, it's not like we're talking about a place that, that we call home. Uh, and yet there's an awful lot to appreciate there. So it's disturbing when you see it, uh, decline like that. I, I, I tend to fall into the category that you mentioned. I, I think at least a significant portion of this falls into the matter of how political the SBC has gotten. And we see that in various evangelical circles. Um, it appeals very well to evangelicals who are already fully invested in, in the church because, um, at least in our American culture, we've presented it in such a way that it seems like if you can get someone to support, uh, politically the ends of the church, uh, that, that the, the person is pro-life, the candidate or the political party, the, the, the party upholds traditional marriage. Um, the party champions religious freedom, these sorts of things. The, it, we can forgive a multitude of sins because of that, as it were, right? It doesn't matter if they, they're doing all kinds of other things that are directly opposed to scripture. Um, and yeah, so that, that works when you're talking about someone who is, is deeply involved in the church and sort of expects that. One thing I think that we're seeing, though, is we're seeing an increasing trend of uh, those who don't already fall into that category. When you're talking about the, the nuns that, that have grown up without a faith and don't feel attached, uh, those who have de-churched, uh, they're certainly not looking for a church that sounds like cable news. They want a church, if they're going to come into all, I think, that says it has something different, that that if they're dissatisfied with everything the world offers, they're not just getting more of that in the church. Um, I don't think there's a magic wand you can wave and suddenly everyone who has rejected the church would find it appealing. But I, I don't think if we're looking at how are you drawing in the next generation or two generations from now, um, being ultra-political isn't a winning route. Like you said, I think we can yeah. be principled without partisan. I admire the Catholic Church's approach on that. I, I have for years that um, it seems like the Catholic Church manages to be very strongly, for example, pro-life without being so closely associated with a political party um, because it's standing up for the biblical principle, not for a particular political platform. Uh, church in general is a lot more powerful in doing God's work if we're free agents, I think. 
we're, we're, we're working for God's kingdom. We're not working for one of the kingdoms of the world. Right. Clearly not the only thing going on with the Southern Baptist convention, but I do think that's a, I don't think that's helping. And, and if you look at the trend, the more political the denomination has gotten over the last five, six, seven years, uh, the worse this decline has, has, has been at the same time. Right. And I, and, and I would say to take the example of the Catholic church, just to nuance that a little bit, there are, individual figures and leaders who ought to be stronger within the Catholic community on the principles um, and are not at times some of the bishops, etc. Um, but the, the dogmas and the historic upholding of the natural law on a lot of these issues protects the church, broadly speaking, from the stupidity of a lot of its leaders. Um, just because that whole Western philosophical tradition is there, um, and you can't get away from it even if you're trying to. And that's why somebody like James Martin, who is pretty much openly advocating for homosexuality, sticks out like a sore thumb because people know, hey, the Catholic Church was speaking against homosexuality, speaking against euthanasia, speaking against abortion. Um, well before it was on a lot of people's radar. So when somebody like sort of betrays those historic commitments in such an obvious way, you know, you know. And of course, you know, he and his defenders will say, you know, I'm 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 just being pastoral and all that. But but people who need the truth can recognize the difference between defending the truth. Um, and being pastoral with certain communities in a sensitive way. Um, right. So, there, but so there are all that is to say there are a lot of problems uh, that the intellectual tradition covers over for in a Roman Catholic context. Um, which is not to say that I disagree with what you said at all. I just when you look deeper, you can see oh that person could be stronger. The person's not, and we're having, you know, we're even having culture war uh, within ourselves that's not as evidently apparent from the outside, but we are. So, yeah. anyway, yeah. Definitely something that we need to be praying for, for all the churches, uh, for everyone to be closer to what Jesus has called us to be. Um, there, there's definitely no rejoicing in seeing the presence of the church reduced, uh, but may that reduction be the sort of thing that we see turn into a greater faithfulness in the future. I think I think that's really the prayer, uh, that we'd see that. And, of course, whether the church is large and powerful in a given moment or, or declining, we know that Jesus is never declining, that he is in control, and we await his return when, when he will be as visible as we could ever hope the church could be and, and more. Before we move to the next segment, I do want to mention that the cen- the central cause of what we might call theological liberalism is giving up on the authority of Scripture. Um, I, and I am going to say that I mean, we've we've all heard it before, we've talked about it before, um, and it doesn't even have anything to do with uh, necessarily sola scriptura because 
across the Protestant Catholic divide, we don't agree on that. But if you give up on the authority of Scripture, that Scripture tells the genuine story of Jesus Christ and God's people before that, if you don't believe that the Bible is trustworthy, then what the Bible says about various moral issues, you will also not believe. So I think in a lot of those denominations that are declining, what you see is a lack of commitment to the authoritative, inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. You can say it a million different ways, but you either believe Scripture is true and you and you bind yourself to it, or you're doing something else. Yes. Um, yeah, amen. And that's that's where theological liberalism comes from, is departing from Scripture. Uh, can I say that? Is that fair to say? I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. And, and maybe I'll add on to that. I did tweet this out the other day in, in reflecting on some of these declines that we see. Um, I'm not so sure that this isn't what we're seeing on both sides of the political spectrum in the church, because while that, that's more apparent in a, a progressive theology that, that outright says it, I think some of what we're seeing in, in these evangelical circles that are declining is, is maybe not an, an outright rejection of the authority of Scripture, but more a willingness to ignore it for some perceived benefit from a, a, a more worldly approach, even though they never say that. And basically, then it boils down to the same problem on both sides. If you're the PCUSA, what are you doing? You're looking at a left-leaning political approach that's going to somehow save the day. If If you're the SBC, uh, right now you're looking primarily at some kind of right-wing uh, political approach coming to save the day. Uh, the solution in either case is, is, is not the political approach, but Jesus being the one who saves the day. And if we, if we actually give scripture its due and we allow it to actually speak into our lives, it's going to hold us from, from assuming anything that we're going to find politically is going to somehow save the day instead. We will. If we read scripture, we will, and bind ourselves to it, we will find Jesus. So if we're drifting from scripture, we're drifting from Jesus. And yes. if we're closer to Jesus, then we're not lured in by all these siren songs of political salvation yes. um, and worldly salvation, because Jesus has already died for us and given us everything. And that's what our choice is, either follow Jesus or be lost with the world, to be blunt about it. Well, we do have our first sponsor for the show today, and that is Biblical.com and Anagrammal.com. That's B-I-B-L-I-C-L-E.com and A-N-A-G-R-A. ML-E.com. Those are two word-a-day games. They're fun, even though Comrade Jason likes to boycott them. They are fun. They will give you a little break from the normal every day and give you a chance to explore a scripture passage while you're doing it. What more could you ask for? They're free, sponsor-free. It is purely a part of the Faith Tree Ministry. You'll want to check it out. Biblical and Anagrammal. You can put .com on the end of either name and check it out today.
Well, speaking of politics, since we just talked about how we need to make sure that we're focused on scripture and not politics, let's go ahead and talk about politics. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's right. Remind me exactly what we're going to talk about. We were going to muse a bit on the uh, upcoming primaries. We're starting to see the race shape up for presidential uh, nominations in 2024. Of course, we have President Trump in full campaign mode. He just held a town hall last week on CNN that uh, drew a lot of attention. We also have President Biden, who is now in full swing on campaign mode as well. Uh, and of course, others is not set officially that we have a Trump versus Biden matchup, but it certainly looks like it could be headed that way in the primary race. And uh, comrade, you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, my thought is simply this. I, I think that if it is a Trump versus Biden matchup, and I'll be bold as a political scientist, uh, if you want to find bias in here, that's fine. Uh, but I think uh, there's no way that former President Trump wins the election with President Biden, if it is Trump versus Biden, uh, even with various liabilities that President Biden has that we talked about uh, before we went on the air, namely his age, his overall health, etc. Um, I, I think that even though President Trump is extremely popular on the Republican side, I maintain my personal opinion that uh, Secretary Clinton is the only person that President Trump is capable of beating, um, and she's not running again. So my feeling is that the moderate will go back to President Biden, even if there are some ambivalence being shown among the voters um, for his reelection. Um, it's all about the matchup. It's just like March Madness. It's not the it's not the overall strength of the team. It's the matchup. You can get beat by a 15 seed if you're a two or a one if you don't do the things that you need to do. Um, and President Trump at this juncture, I do not believe, is able to win over the moderates. Um, to defeat President Biden. Um, so that is my bold prediction, that if it is Trump versus Biden, it will be Biden being reelected. Um, and I said to you, the other part of this was, I said that if they wanted to run, the Republicans wanted to run and they wanted to win, what they should do is subtly campaign against Vice President Harris because they can more than strongly suggest that President Biden will not make the full term, the second term, and that Harris will be the president um, in two years or even less if Biden is reelected. So they should run against Harris. Running against Biden is a mistake um, because his voters are sticky. His voters are loyal. This is why he's such a hard person to beat. He he didn't look very impressive when he was going up against a once-in-a-generation talent like Barack Obama. But the reason you wanted to keep him out of a general election is because he's almost impossible to beat in a general election. I don't even understand why fully. I don't. 
but he's Biden is like is like political Teflon. Nothing sticks. So they need to run against Harris. They need to the Republicans need to be optimistic, forward looking, with a coherent vision, not about the grievances of the past, and this is where I think President Trump will struggle. And they need to run against Harris and not against Biden. And that's how I think a Republican could have a victory. But if it is Trump versus Biden, it's going to be a Biden victory. That's my feeling. I think you bring up some great points and sort of situate on top of that. The the winds are always blowing in the sails of the incumbent in an election like this, as long as things are relatively stable. I mean, if the economy crashes and we're in a Great Depression next year, it might be different. But generally speaking, the incumbent has a huge, huge advantage if, if things are going reasonably well. I don't know that anyone would say that they, th- they think the country is going wonderfully right now, but I don't think there there's a sense that it's going absolutely horribly either, or that necessarily that simply switching back to what we were doing in the previous four years is going to fix it. Uh, if you're running uh, the current administration versus the last administration, the vast majority of Americans that don't think the country's been running well for a really long time don't have an option that that even pretends to be a change. Yeah, It's just, do you want more of one same or more of the other same? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that case, I think the incumbent is, is strong. It doesn't matter. You can take off the political labels. You could even take off the particular candidates. Uh, in, in a race like that, I think the incumbent is, is going to be favored. Um, and like you said, Biden does have that, um, Teflon like quality. Um, and, and, uh, for as much as he at times has moved to the left in recent years to, to satisfy his base, he's still a more moderate Democrat. He represents somewhat of the, the new Democrats of the nineties that we saw un- under Clinton, for example, that same sort of, of character to a degree at least, I think. And I, I think as long as he continues to try not to go too far into the left side, he does give the moderates an awful, awful lot of room to to find him appealing. I think you're right. If if you can make it a race, Trump versus Harris becomes a little stronger because Harris is a more progressive figure. Um, whether our listeners happen to be progressive or conservative, she simply is more progressive. And so if you're trying to peel away moderates, what you need to do is cast the ticket as being less moderate. The more moderate it appears, the more moderate the appeal. Um, and that's really going to be the election there. I tend to think you're right about the messaging too. And to me, the candidate who can cast the most positive vision for the United States over the next four years is going to have a huge advantage because as much as negative politicking works and as much as people say they hate it and yet they go and they allow it to soak into them anyway, I do think if, if a campaign is purely about real or perceived wrongs of the past, um, I don't think that's going to win the election. I want to mention a person that I did not mention before we went on the air, and that is Senator Tim Scott mm, of yes. my now adopted home state of South Carolina. Um, talk about a positive message. Um, and normally I would not say that a senator has any chance, but if he got traction in this primary, he could go all the way because of the uniqueness of his biography, the the positivity of his message, his 
his focus on concrete political goals um, with the tax cuts and with the opportunity zones that he's been favoring. That that's a message that broadly speaking a lot of Republicans could get behind. And he's a likable figure. I mean, I'm telling you. Um down down here in South Carolina, he's really popular. And I think the rest of the country could think so too. So he's somebody that if the dominoes fall just right, if DeSantis falters, if Trump does a normal Trumpy thing and kind of torpedoes himself, Tim Scott could be somebody that jumps up there and and takes it and then could win, uh, maybe even against Biden. Yeah, he would be so, a, a a great matchup. Um, and, and I, I do think, well, I, I think I, I can say this in a bipartisan fashion since I try not to be particularly partisan on here. I think the whole country would, if you had a yes or no question, should we have a completely new slate of nominees? Uh, it would win in a landslide. Uh, most Americans don't want Biden or Trump. And yeah. they, they'll pick the one they see as the lesser of two evils. But most people really, really want something new. And uh, Tim Scott would be a great nomination for the Republicans in, in that regard. Um, a, a fresh face with, like you said, a, a really positive story. Some really good practical legislative work that he's been doing. Um, that'd be really intriguing. I, I tend to think we're not going to get there. I think it's going to either be Trump or DeSantis based on everything that we see so far, but um, it would be interesting. It is awfully early. Um, so we will see. Hey, our second sponsor for the show today is faithtree.com grow. That's at grow.faithtree.com. Grow just introduced a brand new Bible search tool powered by AI technology. If you haven't tried it yet, you should. You can go to grow.faithtree.com, type in a passage. You may not remember the exact phrasing of it, but you're trying to think where does it show up in scripture. You can type it in. It will find it for you. You can have it try to locate a passage that applies to a particular struggle you're dealing with or, or a prayer need or what have you. It will help you find it. And then as you open up that passage, whether you want to view just a verse or 10 verses or a whole chapter, it can provide commentary targeted specifically to what you are looking up in that moment because it's using the incredible AI technology to do it. So check out grow.faithtree.com. Of course, you'll find all the wonderful resources already there over the past few years, including sermons and devotionals from people around the country and the world. Uh, you'll find a link to the latest Zippy the Wonder Snail episode, and much, much more. So check it out, grow.faithtree.com. And we always like to come and spend a little time in God's Word before we wrap up. And today we are looking at John 14, 6, and 7. Why don't you lead us off, comrade? Well, I was hoping you would read it to, to us all before I commented well sure i'd be happy to do that uh john fourteen six, jesus said to him i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you had known me you would have also known my father from now on you do know him and have seen him 
Um, because when you're going into that, Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, have you not been with me all this time, Philip? How can you say, show us the Father? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he says, well, how can we follow you if we do not know the way? And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so this is this is hard for a lot of people because Jesus is saying he's the only way. And if we want to to be in the Father's love, we must receive Jesus. Um, and th- the reason that's difficult is we know so many people around the world that um, believe other things and profess other religion, and we wonder about them because we see that they're very, very good. And I would just say, let's let God worry about that. And But to take Jesus at his word and say, Here's Jesus. He's come as as the Savior. He is the way, which is the way we ought to go. His life, his path, his death and resurrection on our behalf. The truth as the embodiment of all truth. um, The Father's truth, living and active. Um, In him, the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell talking about Jesus in another place in Colossians, and then the life. Um, Later on in this chapter, uh, and in the next chapter, Jesus will talk about being the vine, and we are the branches. And if we separate ourselves from the vine, we will have no life. We will not be alive. We will wither and we will die. Um, And he says in John 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So it's there's no other way to slice it. We trust in Jesus to be blunt and direct these days. We trust in Jesus or we die. We die spiritually. We know we're going to die physically. But if we die spiritually, then everything that we are is lost, all the goodness of it. But to be received in Jesus means the flourishing of ourselves, the fullness of ourselves, realized in Jesus. You know, when we come to Jesus, we don't lose our personality. We don't lose the goodness of ourselves, but those things flourish. I think we're afraid of that. When we live, sometimes we're afraid, oh, if I'm too holy, then, uh, you know, if I pursue holiness, then people won't like me. and You know, I won't have friends and I won't be happy. But the truth is that the people in this world are starving for goodness and truth and life that can only be found in Jesus. So if we're like Jesus, then people will be drawn to us. We will we will be the scent of salvation for those who are being saved. And for those who are perishing, we'll be the scent of death. Kind of a paraphrase of what it says in another place. So we we got to know uh, that the Jesus that we meet in Scripture is good, and he is trustworthy, and he is our way, he is our truth, and he is our life. End of story. Uh, 
we can nuance that. We can be pastoral about it for different communities of people that haven't heard the message. That's totally fine. But at the end of the day, Jesus or nothing. Yeah, that that kind of brings us to where we've been throughout this whole episode, doesn't it? Well, it should be every episode. Yeah. But yeah. when we think about what's gone wrong in the denominations that we talked about, and really, in general, let's just say the church. I'm, I'm not trying to make this a de- denominational point. It's not about the denominations. It's about what we do as human beings. Are we going to seek after the one who is the way and the truth and the life? Or are we going to seek after other things? Uh, certainly, that comes down to how we work through our political machinations as well. Are we seeking to find a way in politics to live out faithfully what it looks like to follow Jesus? Are we looking for a way to to win, so to speak, in whatever frame we decide to set that up as? If you're a political progressive, if you're a political conservative that that follows Jesus, we're going to see different ways of doing that. But the challenge is, are we a political progressive? Are we a political conservative who is seeking to to win in the sense that we think our political system is the best one to follow Jesus? Or are we saying, I want Jesus to win. I want to do what Jesus calls me to do. And that's sometimes going to mean I'm going to have to actually knock the legs out from, from under my own political inclinations because Jesus wouldn't like either political party today. I, I think we can say that definitively. And he's yeah. not going to like a political party that's going to rise up because he's the king. He's the, he's the one who ushers in the kingdom. Uh, at times, one politician or another might be championing an issue that matters to Jesus, uh, but he's the solution. And likewise, in other parts of life, whether it's looking out for success in our jobs or, or in our communities or whatever it might be, are we seeking those things or are we seeking the only one who provides the way, the truth, and the life? Um, as we live our own lives, as we communicate to other people, that's what we need to live out and that's what we need to share. And, and like you said, we can be pastoral to people and at times help them and, and, and work with them as they're coming to that point. But there is the bedrock of where we need to land. Well, I, I guess that's a wrap then. Uh, we, we can't get much better than talking about the cornerstone, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for taking us to, to John 14 tonight, comrade. That was a great suggestion. Always great to talk about scripture with you politics with you, sports with you, everything with you. I enjoy it. We're two Christian guys talking through the news and culture that matter to you. And of course, if you haven't already, I hope that you will subscribe to our podcast. You can subscribe to the OFB YouTube channel and follow us on there in our new YouTube podcast. You can also, of course, follow us on all your favorite podcasting stores, whether it is the Apple Podcast Store, whether it is Amazon Music, Spotify, you name it, we're there. We're ready to be there for you. And you should subscribe. You should say, you should subscribe more quickly than I can apparently get the word subscribe out. Go and subscribe today. And that way you'll know about the next episode. Of course, you can also check out our archive and see all the past episodes of Zippy by going to zippythewondersnail.com. I hope that you will join us again next time. And comrade, I can't wait until we do this again. I'm looking forward to it, as always. Thank you, brother. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.